Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Paddle Pod, your weekly podcast covering professional paddle presented by Hugo and Gons. We're on to episode 35 uh, and as always joined by my co-host Hugo here today. Hugo, how are you doing? All well, Gons. Hi, all. Yeah, very happy to be honest. Very happy for many reasons. One, I'm currently in Rome, so I can't complain eating loads of pizza and pasta. But more importantly, because A, Paddle is finally back in just a few few days' time with the Hexagon Cup, which I'm sure we're all very excited about. And secondly, and most importantly, because we're joined once again by a very, very special, well, host, um, co-host today. Hi, Nacho. How's everything going? Hello. Good morning. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah, good morning, Nacho. It's a pleasure to have you here today. It is very indeed uh, good morning uh, for those uh, listening for us right now. Well, for me in particular, it's 8.30 in the morning. Uh, for Hugo, is uh, 9.30 in the morning. And for Nacho, is uh, 10.30 in the morning because he, he is in Finland. And yes. uh, he will tell us a bit about that uh, later on. But maybe can you can we start, Nacho? I would love to get a bit of an introduction from yourself, uh, a bit about your background. How did you get into paddle? Um, we know that you're a coach, and how and why did you start coaching? Okay, so I'm 36 years old, and I started playing paddle when I was 10. So I've been lucky enough because I've seen like most of the paddle generations. Maybe the one I missed was from uh, Horacio Alvarez Clemente and, and this generation was the first one, but I have seen all of them. But anyway, this I don't know if says good things or bad because I'm getting <laughs> older. But yeah, I started playing when I was uh, 10 years old in my hometown. I'm from the south of Spain, from Cadiz. And after that, I kind of quit a little bit because, um, you know, I have other hobbies. But then I moved to Madrid to study because my background actually is in engineering. So it's not in a sport. And that is when I really start playing a lot, like competing and coaching part-time. And from there, I continue until today that I actually decided to change my career. And now I'm just coaching. So that's my professional career because before I was an uh, energy consultant. But now I'm living in Finland. We can talk a bit more later about this, how I end up here. But I'm basically having an academy in Finland, in Yivascula. And I'm just full-time coach now. Wow, that's quite a big change from being an energy consultant to, to a paddle coach. Uh, maybe I'd love to hear a bit more about that. How did you, how did you come up to, to that decision? uh why and uh and yeah how did you uh, maybe how how did your friends and family react to it mm. yeah it's a, it's a big change as you say um i i have always liked paddle like a lot as as you probably uh all the time thinking in paddle playing paddle watching paddle and at the same time i was working or studying when i was uh younger but i knew that I, when I, I was working, you know, that that was not my field. Like I, I was in the computer every day in the office. I'm thinking like, you know, this is not my thing. <laughs> and I was thinking always like, what can I do? Like to, to have a life related to paddle, you know, like, I don't know. It, I was not even thinking about coaching other things, you know, some business related to paddle, but it was, it was hard. It's a, it was a big change because, you know, you have studied engineering, you spend a lot of time, money, and of course, your family, friends, uh, you know, expecting you to continue with that. <laughs> but probably the trigger was like mental uh, difficulties. Mm -hmm. So uh, I started to have a, a period with a lot of stress with mm -hmm. the work that I was doing, but also with family. I have my first uh, son. And suddenly I start to feel, uh, you know, like anxiety. And so it was the perfect moment because at the same time that this was happening in my personal life, paddle was booming in, in other countries. And in Finland, because my girlfriend is from Finland, it was booming at that time. 
So it was perfect moment to stop and say, hey, should I try now to, to you know do what I I've been wanted to do my basically my whole life? And then I give it a try and we can talk later more about details. But you know, I was so lucky because from the very beginning it worked very, very well. So then I decided to quit my my job, then move here, and then start a, a new life. It was 2021. That's that's super interesting. And I'm sure both Gons and I and many other people throughout the world have considered at least once or twice switching your desk office focused job for playing paddle or playing sport or well, more than that, just being involved in in the in the sports world. That's yeah, that's super interesting. I maybe wanted to ask you more specifically about Finland. So why Finland and when did you well when did you start your academy specifically? Just any other details that you can give us in and around mm-hmm. that would be great. Um you know I don't know if it, the knowledge you have about the Scandinavia, about Scandinavian countries, but uh at least what I have understood here is that Finland goes a little bit behind of Sweden. So you know Sweden now the sport is kind of stable in terms of players. Now they have some professional yeah. players as well. So in 2018, uh, you know, every every Christmas I came here to spend the Christmas with Mintus family, uh, but still we, we live in Spain. So in 2018, you know, I Google Padel Givascula, uh, which is the city where my girlfriend is from, uh, expecting nothing because there was nothing, you know, and suddenly I saw there was a court. It was inside a CrossFit center. So they have put wow. a court there in the CrossFit center. So I I I wrote them on, on Facebook. Hey, you know, in Spanish, I'm going there. I would like to play. And then they reply, Hey, yes, you are welcome. Then I play with them. You know, obviously they just started, so they were amazed by my skills. And they <laughs> would say, Hey, you have to teach us how to play this game and blah blah blah. I say, Yeah, of course. Then I was, you know, giving some lesson during Christmas. And then they told me, Hey, why don't you come? You know, uh, once every three months. You come here, you spend some days here, you teach us, and then maybe we can have this kind of collaboration. So we did that, um, but it was like very tough. You know, I was living in Malaga. Then I was coming to Finland for three days, working like eight hours a day, and then going back. And at the same time, I was working as an engineer. So we did it for some times, but then we stopped it. But then it was when I when I told you in 2021, my second, uh, my daughter was born in Finland and we decided to spend the paternity leave in in Finland. So the paternity leave, I don't know how it's now, but in Spain at that moment was four months. So I have a good period to try. Like, uh, okay, let's give it a try to paddle and then let's see if I can leave this. So I started having some coaching. I make like a, co- a course for coaches and it worked very well. And then at the same time, the I don't know if you know LedUp. LedUp is the let's say the largest company right now in the world in parallel. They own yes. Okay. So before it was LedUp, there was a big brand which was called Paddle Club Finland, the largest paddle company in in terms of facilities in Finland. That they called me, and they told me, hey, we've heard about you, and we are like uh, opening a lot of clubs in Finland and we would like to have a very good academy. So we are looking for a coach manager. So someone who can arrange all the academies from the from the clubs. Would you like to, to take this role? So I made some interviews, was super lucky, and then they chose me. And then I started with, with that. Then I completely decided to, to move to Finland and start this new this new career so basically it was a lot of luck a lot of uh, randomness as i believe you know like the majority of the big things that happen in your life uh, it's basically randomness you are not planned them uh, you are not able to plan them so it was luck, randomness and a little bit of uh you know courage no? how do you say courage yes if i may push back there a little i do think that you do create your own luck so I wouldn't just uh, completely say that it was uh, randomness and such. I mean, you were involved there. You were, I think, as you say, like you had the courage to 
to also uh, put a bit of effort and it uh, eventually paid off. Yes, there's moments where obviously things fall into place exactly when when they seem to to suit you. But uh, yeah, I think uh, you created your own luck there, Nato. Mm. You have to look the look for the luck, but uh, I think it's good to be aware that many times the things we achieve they they also has to do with the with the luck with the randomness. Maybe let's not call luck, but randomness. Like we find opportunity we were not looking for, or, but you have to be ready to take them. I agree. That's true. And, exactly. Uh, sorry, Hugo. No, no, I was just saying exactly. I, I totally agree. It's a lot to do with luck, randomness, just things that happen for, for a reason, really. I, I'm a big believer in that. So, so yeah. So uh, it does seem then that you're quite involved in the in the Finland uh, paddle world uh, and been there basically since the start. Um, I want to ask you maybe a bit more about your your academy um how is it when did you set it up uh could you tell us a bit about the i guess the the facilities uh that you have in in your city and uh and maybe as well um yeah how do, how do you structure the academy what is it focused on uh which type of players do you um do you cater for are you are you working with with people from from all ages all levels uh yeah if you can tell us maybe a bit more about your academy it would be would be great okay there is I, maybe we have to start with the as you said with the structure of the academy so one thing i have very clear when when i started this new project with the academy was that i want to have an academy and when I say an academy, I really mean an academy. So this means that, you know, there are certain uh, way of coaching. I don't like to call it methodology, but that all the coaches, they are teaching in similar way and that we have players who are committed to the academy so that they come in the long term. So this was very important for me because what I've seen in Spain was you know that there are academies but you know every coach is teaching in a different way and there are not uh, you know you know how it works so that's i have it very clear so i work it for that and i uh, the academy was established in 2021 the name is fins paddle fins paddle academia and it's established in my in the city i live which is Givascula. just to put you in context Givascula is like kind of uh, average city in terms of population in Finland. I don't know if it's the seventh or the eighth, but it has like one hundred. Uh, how is it? One hundred thirty thousand. Mm -hmm. So it's quite small if you compare it to <laughs> any city in in Spain, like my hometown, El Puerto de Santa Maria, which is from where Lebron, Javier yeah. are from. Yes, is similar, like one hundred thousand or something like that, and it's a very small one if you compare it to. But anyway. So I have the academy there. We have around 150 players who are committed. So they come in a weekly basis. Some of them one, some of the two, and some of the three times. Uh, we are four coaches, two Spanish and two Finnish. And, and basically we're moving before a little bit around the around Finland, like doing some clinics, you know, in other countries, where, in other cities where they don't have uh, so many coaches. But now we decided to focus just on, on the city, establish the academy, consolidate it. And my idea now would be to bring more from the you know teaching point of view, bring our way to other places more than just coaching players, which is something that we just do in, in Givascula. So we would like to, you know, to get other coaches to see how we coach and and we are already getting some some other coaches from other cities that that they call us and they hey I would like to to know more I would like to learn how you you are coaching and stuff like that so I would be more the long term goal yeah and and would you say you would want uh, let's say Finspal to expand as a brand would you like it to be in different cities across um across Finland. Mm. You know, when I when I started at the beginning, really, really beginning, that was my goal. So I because I saw a lot of opportunities, 
But then, little by little, I I said uh, I I felt like okay, first I need to you know consolidate the academy, I need to learn much more about coaching myself, and now I see that, but I don't wanna rush. So it's little by little. Actually, I'm having some conversation with one big club in in this area in Helsinki. We would like to bring the academy here. But I don't want to make it like a business thing that, okay, let's put it everywhere and then I cannot control much what is going on, you know. If I bring it to somewhere, I would like that it has high standards and they are pitching properly. And so little want, by little. Yeah, you don't want to lose the, the quality and, and exactly. the methodology, I suppose. Exactly. And I think that's something that very easily happens when you grow very quickly. And you've got to be careful because you end up losing that essence and losing that feel of what your teaching methodology and what your teachers all focus on. I just wanted to to just well ask you again about whether well the the levels of players that you coach. So is it all levels? Is it uh, focused on a on a specific age range? Are they then looking to move forwards and potentially compete across Finland? Here in Finland, you have from E category, so E from Spain to A category. So okay. from E to A, so that, that's the level they have here. So we have uh, players from E to A. We have all kinds of players. But the only thing we ask then is commitment. So we don't have any player who is coming once. And he said, hey, can, we, can I have a training? And I don't see him or her more in three months. We ask them to have at least one month commitment. And this means one training a week. Then after one month, you decide if you want to continue or not. And the good thing is that actually, I don't know, 95% of the players, they've been training with us in a weekly basis for years. Um, because this is what I wanted. I had very clear this from the beginning. I don't want to have players who comes once. I don't see them anymore. Then they come three months later. So I want to really see the development and this is what motivates me to to continue coaching them. I agree. I think I, I would think the same. The real mo motivation when you're a coach is seeing your players develop and improve and get better. And you want to see how your methodology and your ways are implemented in their game. So I think... I think the, sorry. sorry, I wanted to say something because usually it's the other way around. Like coaches who come here, they see, okay, this is very attractive from the economic point of view. So uh, if you get different players, usually you can, let's say if I get three players who come once, I can charge them more than if they come 10 times in a row because usually they are looking for a discount yes. or whatever. So from the economic point of view, let's say that in the short term, it's not that, in, that interesting because you know you could make much more money, which is what most of the coaches I see in, other, uh, in Sweden or, or even in Finland, they do. But I am thinking in the long term, so I don't mind sacrificing a little bit of money now to have long term uh, results. Yeah, that's a, it's a very good point. And just to give you a bit of insight, I think here in the UK is this is still uh, we're still quite lagging uh, from that perspective. I don't think uh, here it's it's less structured and uh, it's it's more how you you're sort of mentioning that you might have different coaches just teaching difference even within the same club right you 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 can have one lesson with one coach and then think that you're going to have say you're going to have a lesson with that same coach but then that coach is sick and then you get another substitute and then that substitute teaches you a completely different thing uh, uh, which then obviously it's uh, it's such a hindrance to to your progress um because you start getting habits from from different people it's not all like structured or 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 one one methodology uh but yeah i think it will start to to change but uh but yeah i can i think what what you've got going on there it sounds well it sounds really really good and um and i'm sure like you, you've been able to see like the results as well from from the players that you've been that you've been training um Maybe wanted to talk a bit now about paddle in Finland, and um, would love to know uh, how big is it. Uh, you've sort of like alluded to it, but if maybe you could tell us a bit about num numbers around like the 
the number of clubs um, or, or, or courts that there are in Finland. Uh, so we get a, an estimate of, of the size would be, would be good. Okay, I, I made my homework actually because I have it <laughs> in mind what are the numbers, but I wanted to make sure. So I think the real boom started three years ago or something like that. Even though the sport probably started, at least the, the data I have checked is from 2016. So in 2016, there were like 20 courts in the whole country. Actually, maybe it's good to put people into, into the context that the field line is huge, like it's quite long. Yeah, but the population is quite uh, is for, for uh, five and a half millions. Yeah. Okay. From so, yeah, as well some interesting. So I, I used to live in Sweden, and they've always told me that Sweden, size wise, is the size of Spain, but obviously from a population perspective, isn't is not not even close. Mm, so mm. Finland, I assume, can be probably similar to that. Yeah, exactly. And then the the point is that as you go more to the north. It's colder, so less people. <laughs> so most of the people are in the south. Right. But it's still a bit distributed. So, you know, like you have a lot of uh, forest and lake. So people are separated. So mainly they are divided in three main uh, cities, which is Helsinki area. Then there is another big city called Tampere. And then there are uh, Turku. And then there's like small cities like Divascula. Uh, well, but yes, there are like 20, there were 20 courts. 2023, there are 1,000. Wow. Although wow. there are some clubs that they are closing right now, but we can talk later about that. In terms of player in 2016, there were around 500, and now there are around 90,000. Wow. Uh, then they have this kind of clubs or associations, which is basically clubs who gather players. And there was one in 2016, now there are 80. And then federated players, there were 80 in 2016, and now there are around 2,000. Wow. So in terms of court is what really called your attention. Like this, there were 20 and now there are 1,000. So the growth has been like 1,000 more in six years, seven years. So it's it's a lot. And now there are a bit of problem because they have probably built too much. Uh, it has happened in other countries like Sweden, and now they have to they, they they've been closing some clubs. Yeah, I actually came across I so I go on holiday to the south of Spain to Granada. So my my mum's from there, and I play in a in a club, a paddle club there. And I've spoken with a number of Swedish people who who say that a lot of clubs in Sweden are closing because there's not enough people and there's too many courts. So it's interesting to hear that the same. The same thing is is happening in Finland. Is paddle expensive in Finland? So, for example, how much does a court cost per hour, and how much does it cost to maybe get a get a coaching session? I know that'll change a lot depending on mm. the area, on the club. But just to get an idea, it's it's much more expensive if you compare it to the to the south of Spain, because <laughs> I heard that in 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 Barcelona it might be around twenty euros per ninety minutes something like that but in the south of spain for example in malaga or in or in my hometown it might be five six euros <laughs> yeah, Finland is around 90 minutes depending on the city but i would say 15 euros per person 20 euros maybe in helsinki area per person for okay. 90 minutes playing and coaching again depends on the city i would say in helsinki people would be paying 100 euros per hour Whoa, but, okay. of, but of course, um, I don't think that many people take a private lesson. So probably this is these are four players lesson. And in our hometown, it's cheaper. Probably would be about 80 or something like that. I would say that the other clubs are charging. We have kind of similar prices. So, but yes, it's, it's more expensive. But, but actually the, the courts are usually... Are, are better and the condition of the clubs are better basically because they are new. So they, they built it like two years ago. The majority of clubs are really, really, really nice. Like, you know, all of them, they have uh, Mondo carpet. The, many of them, they have these panoramic courts. Um, the clubs itself, they are really nice with very high quality infrastructure. Like you go to the 
dressing room and everything is so nice. They have sauna. So the quality of the club is very high, but now that's uh, coming with a problem that you have to to make them profitable. And they have noticed that it's not that easy. Yeah, I can imagine. So just, just to clarify, you said it would maybe be get a coaching session, so 100 per hour, but obviously... If that's an individual lesson, you'd pay a hundred yourself. But if it's a group lesson, then it would be twenty-five each or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. One that's hour. interesting to know. Yeah. Hmm. And it doesn't matter if you do it with uh Finnish or with Spanish coach. So the Finnish coach have the kind of similar price, which is okay. I, I think it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh but yeah, interesting to to hear about uh i guess the the other situ- like the situations with with clubs and uh economically speaking um how i guess hard it is to to actually maintain a club uh and i guess that that oversupply of of courts and clubs um but yeah i, I wanted to to maybe talk a bit about the the climate uh obviously <laughs> finland is uh, quite a cold country and uh Later, you have to tell us how a uh, uh, a guy from uh, Puerto de Santa Maria ends up in Finland, <laughs> uh, and how 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 the how did you adjust to the weather? Um, but obviously, it's uh, it impacts the game quite a bit. Um, I do assume that most of the facilities are indoor, uh, but I guess we just wanted to to ask you if you notice like big changes in in participation and court reservations in the summer and in the winter um and maybe as well do you uh i guess maybe adjust your coaching style a bit uh in in the summer in the winter do you start maybe training certain things in the winter um and for example the smash you don't touch it until it's summer because it's pointless (laughs) uh i would love to to hear about that okay Mm, so in as as you said that this is so cold that most of the winter you spend it inside. Although you people go to you know ski and this kind of things, but you know they have a joke here that you see people in summer. You know everybody's outside because uh, you know it's nice to be outside when you've been in winter the whole winter inside. But let's say autumn comes, it's like you say to your neighbors, "Hey, see you in summer," because then <laughs> you are gonna spend the whole autumn and winter inside. So basically, we play indoor most of the year. Then there are like two, three months of summer, but it might rain a lot. It depends on the on the summer. So basically, there are some courts outside, but I don't. I wouldn't say that they are very profitable. So it's better to have indoor club than outdoor club. But usually, the big ones, the big chain, they have the indoor clubs, and they might have two, three courts outside to try to compensate in summer what they are not making during the summer in, in indoor uh, because usually people don't want to play indoor in, in summer they want to spend time outside because you've been all winter inside and in terms of coaching actually one of the things I have learned is that as a coach um, you know that one of the things that you have to take more into consideration when you are working uh, especially if you are in another country is the social and, and cultural context of the country because that make you know everything so 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 different than what you you are used to i put you an example like if there are two main differences that i can see from from the social and, and cultural context compared to spain what i'm used to is there are two things one is the way we socialize so uh, in spain you know how we are but here they are much more, you know, like introvert. They need their space. The way they, they talk with each other is, is totally different. And of course, this has implication in the way they play or in the way they train. And there is a second thing, which actually is, is uh, for I think for coaching is beneficial, at least how I see coaching, is that the people here are very structured, you know, like they have their schedules, they want to meet all the schedules. They program their life quite a lot and in advance. So they know what they are going to do in two weeks or whatever. So in terms of coaching, this is good because, you know, I tell a guy, hey, would you like to train? Yes. Okay. You train every Tuesday at six. 
Okay, and the guy will put it in his agenda and he will be every Tuesday at 10 minutes before, he will warm up and he might stay, he likes you, he likes coaching, he might be with you one year, every Tuesday at six. So this is quite different than in Spain. In Spain, yeah, the guy can commit, suddenly in two weeks, hey, you know that I, and then you don't see him anymore. <laughs> and That's so true. But, but from the social point of view, one of the things that I struggled at the beginning was the interaction with them. Because at the end of the day, you are interacting with them every day. And the way we communicate with them is totally different than the way we communicate with them in Spanish, the way we socialize. And then you can see this in the way they play, in the way they interact between each other. And so it's, it's quite, such an interesting topic. I have a blog that I wrote about this. But yeah, that's probably the main differences I've I've seen and I have noticed from from our culture and their culture. So maybe they, they don't get as heated on the court as we do. <laughs> you don't hear, vamos! <laughs> no, no, no. You enter, actually, I was thinking yesterday, now there is, I'm in, in one tournament that is like a team competition. It's called Saria Padel, and, and there, is, there are different teams from different cities, and they are competing. And, you know, you enter in a club in Spain, and there is a competition, and there is such a mess. Like, vamos, people shouting, yeah. or whatever, and you enter here, and you only hear the ball, boom, 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 and then some, <laughs> some, you know, some voices from time to time. So it's totally different, but at the end of the day, when you understand the culture, Okay, it's related to that, you know, you cannot make people behave in the court in addition sure. they, they behave outside. And then that makes you understand much better coaching because you cannot try to make them do things that they are very, very uh, constrained by the way they live, the way they socialize and stuff like that. And I assume when you do your coaching, you frame it in a certain way, right? The way you say words, uh, for example, like uh, I've been around Spanish coaches that I mean, for lack of a better word, they sort of like insult you, but in like a friendly way, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, because obviously in Spain, it's very typical uh, to do that. But I assume in Finland, you just obviously ha you choose your words differently uh, given the social context. Yeah, especially at the beginning. But the good thing is that since we have long-term players, so I've been able to have a long-term uh, relationship with them. So also what, what we try to do is we adapt to their culture because we are here, we are in your country, so we have to adapt more than you to adapt to me. But the things that we think that are positive from our country, I try to bring it here little by little. So for example, since I have long-term players who I have, you know, like more confidence, you know, I might start a training and I hack them. <laughs> and that's that's something here that is like, what, what are you doing, you know, so don't touch me. But now they like it, you know, or at least yeah, I yeah. feel that they are not like, okay. <laughs> or I make more jokes or, you know, the things that uh, I think are positive from our culture, I try to bring it here. And in the other things, but I adapt because I understand that they have their, their culture and their social context. Nacho, all I'll say is that maybe the dropout, now we understand why you've had higher dropout rates over the last few months. Maybe it's due to the, to the hacking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's that's actually super interesting and i hadn't actually thought about how your coaching methodology must change depending on the culture particularly cultures that are that far apart when looking at for example a spanish culture or a mediterranean country's culture compared to to well the nordics for example but given that you've touched on coaching i wanted to ask you a bit about the coaching situation in finland so how do you attract good quality coaches? Are you managing to do so? And do you think that there are, I'm sure there are, but what do you think, how do Finnish coaches compare to coaches elsewhere? Do you think there's already quite a high level in terms of the coaching that they offer? Um, they started coaching, I think really coaching like three years ago. So it's mm -hmm. quite young in terms of, of coaching. But also in terms of the of paddle itself of, of the game, but I think uh, if we compare it to the coaching of Spain, because we have to compare it with something, and probably Spain is the reference, Spain and Argentina. You know, I I'm gonna get some people angry with me probably with this, 
but I've been following the way they coach in Spain, the way they coach here. And I would say that the average coach in Spain is not much better than the average coach in Finland. Because at the end of the day, the advantage we have is that we have knowledge of paddle. But in my opinion, there are three main pillars that a coach should have in terms of knowledge. And one of them is paddle. Of course, you need to know about paddle. But there is a second main pillar that is pedagogics. So you need to know how to teach. And then there is a, th a third main pillar, which is what I call like all these fields that they end up with ologies, for example, psychology, sociology, biology, anthropology. So all these things are really important also in, in coaching. So let's say that the Spanish coach has better knowledge in terms of paddle because we have more experience. So that's one pillar. But Finnish coaches, because you know, it's well paid. So they like to study and, and they try to get more and more knowledge all the time. So they might have, some of them might have better knowledge in terms of pedagogics or in terms of, you know, psychology or that the, that the Spanish coach but obviously, if you take the best coaches from Spain, probably are better than the best coaches on Finland. But I wouldn't say that the average, in terms of average coaches, there is such a big difference. Although, of course, Spanish coaches have more experience and better knowledge of, of the paddle. But it's just, in my opinion, it's just one main pillar. So, I can imagine. So, yes, it's a starting, but I don't think that the level is, is bad. In fact, I, I know like five, six coaches here uh that you know that are very 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 good like you you ask them question and you can see that they think like very deeply about the game and i've been in spain with other coaches that i've been thinking with them like, or asking them question and there are so many hours in the court because this is one of the problems we have in spain that there are so many hours in the court that they don't have time to 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 do nothing, you know, to prepare the trainings, to reflect about the game, to reflect about uh, how should I coach. Although here you might be four or five hours in the court. So you have a little bit of time at least to, to think about it. That's really interesting to hear. Yeah, I don't disagree at all, by the way. I, I think I've had coaches in Spain which are horrible and uh, <laughs> maybe joined because of the obviously COVID boom, which uh, also affected the uh, paddle in Spain. But uh, obviously in Spain, there are certain set academies uh, that have been running for, for a long time and they produce obviously most of the professional players out there and they are like really good. Um, but I think, as you say, if you take your average coach, um, I don't necessarily disagree uh, because mm. I've had a lot of them and a lot of them have been pretty pretty average um and the, the sorry gonzalo the problem with this is that people from scandinavia they, they love spain so they go to spain a lot then they go also to play paddle and to train yeah you know like a very very good coach is not gonna take us you yeah. know some amateur from scandinavia because they have already players and they are committed so usually people go to average coaches yeah. Usually, I'm not saying always, but usually. So then they train in certain way, which can be good, but they have the impression, okay, this is the way to train paddle. Uh, maybe the way they train was, for example, one hour of, I don't know, with the bucket, uh, making repetition like a robot, and, uh, and they come to Finland or to Sweden back, and then, okay, the Spanish train like this. And they have, uh, you know, uh, probably an not so holistic impression of really how is coaching about yeah so that, 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 that's that's a problem i have one post there that, that I, I put it in my academy it was like that the coaches from spain or argentina doesn't mean that it's a good coach because we don't <laughs> confuse you know that yeah. because the sport there is very popular then you think that if you are coached by spanish then it's very good coaching and it's not like that and also, I think a very important thing to take into account is that just because the paddle coach is a very good paddle player and has played for a long time and has maybe maybe competed even, that doesn't make him or her necessarily a good coach. <laughs> I fully agree. This is related to the three, uh, three main pillars. He is very good in one pillar, like paddle. He has knowledge about paddle, probably. 
or probably not. We can talk later about this, but probably he knows about Paddle, but doesn't mean that he knows how to teach Paddle, which is pedagogies, and he doesn't know about the ologies, psychology, sociology, and all that stuff. Nice. And how do you attract uh, good quality coaches? How do you, how how can Finland grow the amount of, of good coaches that, that they have? You know, that that's a, a difficult one. Because if I think in coaching in Spain, um, probably it's not seen such a nice job. You know, they spend a lot of hours with players that, because the prices are very low, you might have players who are not really motivated. They just come to have fun. So I think the first thing is that you need to have so much passion for, for this. And... This is also this all this passion has to do also with how you are training and which kind of players you have. So, for example, if I I can know very very quickly who likes coaching. So these are you know I always compare myself when I was doing engineering. We were in a business dinner, and all the guys or the majority of the guys were talking about the job, about whatever related mm -hmm. to engineering, and I was bored. I was like, okay, let's talk about another thing. So I can see the same thing if I go to have a dinner with a coach and then he wants to talk about other things that are not coaching. So probably he doesn't like that much coaching. But anyway, so you, I think you have to have the passion because you spend a lot of time with people. It's not easy to spend time with people all the day, you know, five, six hours a day. So I, I don't have a response. It's, it's very hard. You might have someone that you think he's good, uh, but then after a few months, you notice that actually he doesn't like much coaching. He's just doing it because of money. So we are now four guys here. I think most of them, uh, they like a lot coaching. So that's probably the first thing I I see. I, I, right. I try to see at the beginning, like, okay, do they really want? And you can And you cannot... You can hide this at the beginning, like trying to fake that you are interested. But then in a few months, you will notice if the guy really likes coaching or, or is just doing it by because of money, which is not bad because some people have to do it just because of money. But probably will not work very well in the long term. So sorry, I don't have a response, but probably I would go through that through passion. Like, do they like passion? Okay, maybe this guy is a good candidate to, to have it with me and try to give him everything I can that so he can stay as long as possible in the academy. I do totally agree. I think if you're passionate, that's a big step towards doing well at your job, caring about your job, and, well, making the... Well, doing as much as possible and reading as much as possible and trying to improve as much as possible in a job scenario, and in this case, to basically improving your paddle coaching qualities. Maybe and also sorry, Hugo. Now that you yes. said that, something that uh, I would like to to say is that you know playing paddle and coaching paddle are totally different things because people confuse because I like playing paddle a lot. Yeah. Then I'm gonna coach, and actually it's not good. You know, if you like playing paddle a lot and you think that you like coaching, you have to try first. Because then after, when you are then few months, you know, four or five hours in the court, then you said, actually, I like a lot playing, but I don't like that much coaching because people confuse playing <laughs> I, with coaching. I completely agree. I, I've always thought about that myself. I've always, because obviously I love playing paddle. But then, for example, I've had moments where I'm with my girlfriend. She doesn't play. So we, we take a court and I'm like sort of coaching her. And I get so frustrated. <laughs> so then right away, I, I then get all the thoughts that I'm thinking like, yeah, I'd, I'd love to coach. All, all of those th thoughts disappear because, uh, because yeah, I realize that I don't think I would be a good coach. Mm. <laughs> so maybe, yeah, as I say, moving slightly away from, from the actual coaching, well, coaching in Finland, I wanted to ask you about the competitive scene and competitive playing in Finland. So maybe tell us a little bit about it. And in your opinion, how far away is Finland from reaching the level that there is in Spain? Or maybe Spain's a bad example, but any other countries that are slightly higher up the, the competitive rankings? What do you think needs to happen for this to, to occur? There is one thing that they have they've been doing here well is they have a good structure in, in terms of competition. Like if you want to compete, 
you can compete every weekend and probably you don't have to move so long distances from the city that you live so in every every weekend you have i don't know so many tournaments and actually the majority of them are from the federation so if you play you are getting points you know for this uh, uh ranking of the federation so that's very good because for me what makes the country grow uh, we usually tend to think that is more about you know if they have good quality of coaching and this kind of things but for me it's more the context so if you are able to create a context in which there are a lot of competition then there are more players uh, they have the chance to play with different players then probably the level of the country is, is going to grow basically because of survival so you need to survive if you want to compete and then you have to improve if you want to go in the others so in this sense I think the, it's going very well as I said every weekend you can play a competition then compared to Spain, okay, they are super far away, but it's normal because they started like uh, three years ago and Spain we've been playing like more than 30 years. So it will take time. I, I would say I, I've been having this kind of conversation. If you think in the best player in Finland, he's like 36. Okay. And if, if you look like who is coming, like younger generation, I don't know, there might be two or three kids that in the 40s or 50s, sorry, 15s or 14 years old, but wow. you don't see anybody. So how long it could take that someone very good can come can become very good players? So let's say if these guys who are now 14 become very good, they might it might take 10 years. And by probabilities, probably they will not be professional. So I would say that that the level reach the level of Spain is gonna take. Uh, it's very difficult to make estimation, but I would <laughs> say I would say ten years or more. Yeah, I can imagine. The thing is that it's all about well the infrastructure and the fact that obviously the tournaments and the competitive landscape in Spain is considered the best, and so we even see how currently players in Argentina are struggling to make it to the top and there's a bit of a problem in terms of the younger generation moving forwards and and producing new top well argentinian or argentine uh paddle players obviously we've got the likes of Libak and Ausburger right now but they are struggling and particularly they're also on the female side of things there's not that many young argentine female players that are that are, that are coming through the, the academies and that is a big problem already. So if Argentina is facing that situation, I can imagine how long it can take for a country like Finland, which is only in its infancy really in the paddle scene. And and you have to think that the, the paddle is getting more and more professional. So it's more and more competition, more and more competitive. You know, it's getting more and more difficult every year because this is by year. <laughs> and, and then you have here let's say i would say i don't know 15 20 good players when i say good players is that they are uh, in the level of madrid they would be like a low a player okay so you have 15 20 maximum if i think in madrid let's not go to madrid because it's too big for example malaga in malaga the same level of of these guys you might have in whole Malaga, I'm counting Marbella, Mija, I don't know. You might have 100. Yeah. So the context is so important because in Malaga, if you have 100, this means that you have 99 players you can play in a weekly basis. Then you are playing inside because there are indoor courts. Then you are playing outside. Then you are competing with them every weekend. Here is different, like you have 15 guys that they probably don't, don't have so much chances to play against each other because one lives in Helsinki, the other lives in Tampere. So they meet maybe every month once in the competition. So, you know, the context of Finland is also a barrier in terms of developing. You take these 15 guys and you put it in Spain, in Madrid, and you, you know, they, they have to live there for one year. And they probably will develop, uh, I don't know, what Much they develop faster. here in five years, they develop the, there in one year. Yeah. And how do you see the younger generations in Finland taking up paddle? Because I think that <clears throat> to to get to 
to that level obviously it very much depends on on the younger generations and if there's like an appetite uh for paddle uh, in finland so i wanted to ask you about that this is a difficult one because it takes it takes time i remember as i told you i started when i was 10 years old so when i started paddle was starting actually in spain so i'm talking about 90s 95 or 97 or something like that so I remember I was the only one of my friends playing paddle. And in the school, I asked and they told me, what are you doing? No, I play paddle. What is that? So it took like 15 years that then, you know, other of my friends that I said paddle and everybody knew. And then, no, oh, I have another friend that plays. So here is the same. You know, they rush a little bit. They say, no, we need more kids. And and uh, of course it's true, but I think you also need to be patient, like wait a little bit. Kids start to play because they see their parents, they bring them to the clubs and they are seeing their parents play. And then they say, oh, I would like to play. And then I I would like to play and, and these things. And also because the tricky thing is that like for the from the business perspective, you want to have your courts full and the courts are full in the evening. So when the parents can play, because they go after the after work. So if you want to bring kids, then you would have to be willing to lose money to put the kids to play. Because at the end of the day, you cannot pay for your kids every time they play. Well, you could do it, but you know they would have to be paying. It's like around sixty euros per per ninety minutes. So. Right. It's difficult. It's difficult. Like they try to bring them to the clubs from two to four after the school that the, the courts are not full. But I think it's a long process. You have to be patient and build little by little. And I believe that in 10, 15 years there will there will be there will be a lot of kids as happened in Spain or, or in Argentina. Interesting. So Nacho, obviously I'm aware that, that we've been online for quite a, a long time now, so I just wanted to ask you one final question, and I'm sure Gons will, will have another one. Mainly, well, maybe moving back to, to the coaching side of things, but focusing specifically on yourself. So maybe a brief summary of what your coaching philosophy is. I know you've talked and I've spoken about the three pillars, which I totally agree with. But yeah, maybe a brief summary of what your coaching philosophy is and what you think are the most important attributes of a good coach or what would make a top coach in your eyes? Um, about the philosophy, I talk with other coaches about this. I think it's important that you have a philosophy, but I don't think that you should, you know, like being stuck in one philosophy because then you, you become a bit uh, close-minded. So I follow different philosophies, but, you know, I can tell you something today and in six months, I noticed that I was wrong and I, and I, and I don't care. Like, I don't mind saying it. And I think that's what probably can be one of the attributes that a coach should have, you know, so be willing to change and not be ashamed that, you know, something that you are doing today might be in six months. You, you notice that you were doing so wrong, but so wrong because I've done things that I say, what? what I was doing like one year ago. So that can be one of the attributes. Uh, but talking about the philosophy going back, I don't have, let's let's say specific philosophy, but I would call it more principles or values that those I don't change it. At least they are like long-term, which is, uh, I would like that in the academy, there is this, you know, philosophy of team, teamwork, because I, I understand Padel as a team sport. Mm -hmm. Then there is another one that probably is related, which is, is it has to do with uh, respect, like uh, that each player respect each other. We, we see in parallel that sometimes we have a lack of respect for our partner and also sometimes for the coaches or the coaches for the players. Mm -hmm. uh, probably the most important one, um, sometimes not good for the business coaching, is that I would like to have uh, or to help players to be independent to be autonomous. So I, I like that they can take their own decisions. I like that they can find their own ways and hopefully sooner than later, uh, they don't need us. And that's uh, that's probably one of the, related to the attributes, one of the most important attributes that in my opinion, a coach should have. Because usually we tend to, you know, intervene a lot. We want to be the protagonist. 
and also players are expecting us to help them continuously and tell them what they have to do, how they have to do. And I think for the long-term development, it's it, it pays off when you know you struggle a little bit more, but you find the way, you have to solve the problem by your own, and the coach is there more to guide you and to find context and situation in which you can develop uh, certain skills. I actually, I really like that point around well, letting players find their own solutions to problems. Because actually, when you look at it, well, when you watch some of the top players play, I think that a lot of them don't do what they're top, what they should do at points in the match. So that maybe they go for something different. I mean, we've seen how many times Stabia goes for a random shot, probably because he hasn't worked on a specific shot as much as he should have, but he's found a solution to deal with with a problem. And... Well, that's just one example, but I've watched a lot of matches where I'm saying, why did he do that when there was just clearly so much space on the other side to play the volley to that side? And yeah, I I just find that really interesting. And I I totally agree. I think every player will end up playing differently and find different solutions to problems. And that doesn't mean that they're not learning the right way or they'll be capped to a certain level. And that's, sorry, let, let me finish with that. That probably is another attribute, which is like understanding like, uh, I'm not going to be so technical, but there is a science that is complexity. So it's complex science. But basically, you have to understand that, as you said, every player is different. But coaches, we tend to make them do things in one way, which is the thing, the way that we think is the correct. And we forget that every player is different. Every situation is different. So we should adapt to the players, not the players adapt to us. So that's definitely one of the most important attributes. It's very interesting because uh, this reminds me a bit of about a, a book I read a, a while ago called The Inner Game, um, mm. which is actually focused on tennis. Uh, but I think sort of similar where the the coach that essentially writes the book, the author of the book, he mentions how actually like we, if we just let go, like if you actually see someone, let's say, play a forehand, like our human body and our ability and our muscle memory can probably do that quite well um, without necessarily having to point out the exact technique or or like go uh, into the specifics of how to actually like let's say do a topspin forehand um, but in reality if, if we just like let our body let's say you just watch someone and just say to the person just literally try to repeat what you've seen they probably actually can do it quite well um, which is, I think, <clears throat> this sort of philosophy of try to not intervene too much and and actually let the the human brain and the body, which is capable of amazing things, to do its job. It's a great uh, point. That's a, <laughs> that's a very good uh, book, actually. And it's related to, I don't know if the audience have read the book of Daniel Kahneman that is called uh, Thinking Fast and Slow. And he talks about the, the same things, like there are two systems, system one and system two, you know, when we take decisions, the system one is automatic. So you are not conscious of it and it's fast. It might take, a, it, it can take, a, you know, it can make mistakes, but it's fast and automatic. And the system one, the system two, sorry, is much more rational. So you have time to think about it and then you do the things, you take the decision. The point is that coaches tend to work a lot in the system two of the player. So the one who is conscious, no, you have to do the shot like this, put the hand like that. And there are many, many, many things when you are playing that are done by the system one, which is automatic, uh, fast, uh, you are not conscious of it. So finding the balance in coaching, when to work on the system one and when to work in the system two is, is really difficult. It's really difficult. I'm sure if you ask like Messi, uh, how did you score this goal? He, he'll probably say like, I don't really know. I just did. <laughs> and that's probably because it's, it's system one, just going, going. Indeed, indeed. There are many situations you don't have time to think and you just trust in your intuition, in your, you know, your unconscious. So I think as a general, I would say that if we can put a time scale, like as closer you are to touch the ball, to hit it, I think less intervention of the coach should be. You should let the player find his way. 
then as long as longer you are from touching the ball, let's say you can think about the tactic, about the emotions, about how to talk with your partner, more interventions should be from the coach because you have time and it makes sense, you know, but usually we tend to to intervene when you are getting close to touch the ball. No, that ball was not there. That ball was there. No, you hit it this way. You should have hit it that way. And then there is paralysis by analysis. The player is thinking too much when he doesn't have to think. No, that's so true. And uh, maybe one last and final question, Nato, because we've had you here for, for ages and obviously you, you have to go uh, <laughs> and do your things. Um you talked about the three pillars and I'd love to know which one for you is the most important. If you think there is one that is the most important or how do you weigh them uh, separately? The three pillars are in terms of coaching. Then the, then usually we talk about tactical, physical, technical, uh, mental. And, you know, when, again, when you understand this complex science, then you understand that we've been studying all the components a lot. So if you see, for example, in the human body, now we understand much better how the, the heart works, how the lungs work, how the liver works. And this has given us a, a, a lot of advantages to understand better those things. But I think we have to now integrate everything again, now that we know the parts, and integrate everything and see how all these things together are working because that's the magic thing. Like the interaction between these parts is what makes very, very interesting the human body, but also paddle, like we are separating. No, now we train the tactic. Now we train the technique. Now the physical part. And yes, you can separate them. In fact, we need to separate them because it's so complex that in order to understand them, we have to separate them. But actually from the, when the player is playing, it's very hard to separate them. For example, if you tell me, uh, yeah, the mental part is, is, is very important, it's much more important than the physical part. And then I ask you, okay, this guy is insecure, but actually he's insecure because he's, I don't know, he's very fat. So he's insecure because he feels that he cannot move well. So is this mental or is this physical? <laughs> or uh, it's together. Or you know, and, and you can you can have many examples of this, but let's see if if uh, if we would agree that, for example, being insecure, uh, not have capacity of adaptation, uh, don't regulate the emotion well. If we would agree that those things are just mental, which I don't I don't think is like that, but let's say if we just say that they are mental, probably the mentality is the main barrier to improve for most of the players or to reach the top. I'm talking about professional to beginners. Like professional, you say like you say Tapia, eh, Lebron, Galan, and this is the, the best one compared to the 10th. Probably the main thing is is in mental. Yeah. But also from beginners. The beginners they start and you know they, they might not control their emotion, regulate their emotion. They are uh insecure they don't know how to adapt to different situations but again yeah. i don't want to separate it because it's it's really it's really really hard and i just yeah. understand coaching more holistic way no that's true funnily enough we actually last week we had david fernandez who's ranked in the top 130 uh by fip and he was we sort of asked him a bit this question around the mental side of the game and he was actually telling us that the main difference between, I mean, certainly like a top 50 player and Tapia, Coelho, all of these is, is the mental side. He was telling us that if you if you see them like playing in the court, like uh, they'll be like, oh yeah, like, you know, all, all of the, let's say like four players, they all can play, like they all seem good. But then when you actually boil down to it, it's uh, it's just that mental side that obviously the, the top top players are have the edge. Yeah, they can all pretty much play the same shots when they're training. But can they do it when they have to? What can they play the shot when they have to play the shot when it most matters? And is the decision making as good as the top players? Well, no, it's not, and that's and that's the big difference. Mm. The key word for me is is adaptation. I I think that's the key word. I I think as a human being, we've been here because we the ones who have adapted have adapted very well. 
to the different scenario, if you bring this to competition, it's the same. That you have Bella. Well, why Bella is being 16 years? Because the guy has been adapting to every partner, to every rival. They have changed the conditions. He has been adapting again. The rival has changed the way to play to him. He has adapted again. Again, <laughs> so probably that's the main attribute now for players. Well, Nacho, I think that that's it for now. I'm sure our fans and our audience have loads of other questions that they'd love to ask, and we definitely do. So maybe, who knows, in a few months' time, we could have a, another session and maybe ask you a bit more about your favorite players, for example, which is one of my favorite questions. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. No, thank you very much. Have you seen, I love to talk about this. So I could have been a few hours more talking with you, but no, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity and hopefully that people uh, get to know a bit better what is going on outside of Spain, in this case in Finland, and also a little bit about how we coach and our way of coaching. Yeah, and well, we actually do have a, quite a decent Finnish audience as well, uh, so I'm sure that they they would they'd love to to hear what what you have to say. And yeah, as Hugo said, Nacho, thank you so much for for coming on. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I could also stay hours here talking to you <laughs> about co a coaching and paddle. Um, but uh, yeah, you're you're always welcome uh, in in this podcast. Uh, and uh, and yeah, we will let you know if uh, we ever go as well over to Finland and maybe we can uh, we can play a little game. <laughs> you, are, you are invited. Whenever you want, you're welcome here. Bring the code and, the, and everything because it's Exactly. <laughs> that is okay. true, yes. Thank you, Hugo. Thank you, Gonzalo. Thank, Thank you, Nacho. Nacho. Cheers, guys. Ciao, ciao.